0: And this is One Strange Thing, the show where we search the nation's news archives for stories that can't quite be explained. Just a note at the top of this one. This episode is scarier than our usual fare. Listener discretion is advised. Humans are funny about symbols and legends. Funny in that the same things pop up again and again across cultures. The number three, for instance, or the orphan hero, the wicked stepmother, the power of a liminal space. And we don't mean the TikTok interpretation of liminal, which has truly stretched that word beyond its limits. A true liminal space is a threshold, a place between, where a decision has yet to be made and possibilities exist. Once you leave it, you've chosen your path. It's a crossroads, a terminal, a bridge. Bridges figure prominently in fairy tales and folklore and even in urban legend. Why do you think that is? A journey of crossing over from one state to another, life and death, innocence and knowledge, it's a ripe analogy, and so not surprising that storytellers return, again and again, to the bridge. But of course, bridge stories aren't just about crossings. They're also about guardians, aren't they? The troll who waits for the goats, the ferryman exacting his charge from the dead, or that bunny man waiting in Virginia, ready to attack your car with an axe. Wait, is that one less familiar? Perhaps we need to back up just a little. After all, outside of the occasional viral crying child in a frightening Easter photo meme, we don't really have good examples of scary rabbits in our cultural memory. Which is interesting, really, because after all, rabbits aren't just symbols of renewal. In the right stories, the rabbit is a trickster. Sly and secretive and mysterious and willing to do just about anything depending on his goals. Folklore taught us that too. So when you combine a rabbit and a bridge and a guardian you're bound to have quite a story. And that's just what we're bringing you today. A tale that's grown mostly through the whispers of teenagers across generations until a shadow figure emerged to haunt an area just outside Fairfax, Virginia. A man dressed in a bunny suit, attacking anyone who came near an area that he considered his own. It sounds pretty funny until you find out that he was armed with a big, shiny axe. That's another important element of the folk story structure, the fear. So, let's begin properly. Once upon a time in Virginia, there was a legend. That's how it goes, right? A legend of a bunny, a bunny man, that stalked or haunted or guarded the land surrounding a picturesque overpass. And if anyone, especially any teenager, was unlucky enough to be near that overpass at nighttime, well, they would face the wrath of the rabbit. Wrath over what, exactly? Well, it's complicated. See, nobody was crossing the bridge itself because it was designed for trains. There was no toll to pay that would allow them to pass unharmed. But the transgression may have been simpler. Being in the wrong place, doing the wrong things, at the wrong time, late at night. And the punishment? That depends on who you ask. The College of William and Mary's student newspaper, The Flat Hat, takes us to a very specific bridge, which is something we don't usually get in a fairy tale or your standard urban legend. This infamous bridge is on Colchester Road, a little ways off Route 123 and a little past Fairfax and into Clifton. It's known as the Colchester Overpass or the Bunny Man Bridge. The Flat Hat offers a description of the overpass, one that we can verify is accurate based on photos. It's quote, an overgrown and moldy railroad overpass with a short arched tunnel carved out over the road beneath. It's one of those one lane tunnels that are always a little anxiety inducing to drive through. After all, you never know if a car might be barreling toward you hidden by the tunnel and ready for a head-on collision. It's especially nerve-wracking because, as the Flat Hat notes, it's a popular route for students traveling to and from the college. And, apparently, the overpass area was at one point a popular makeout point for local college students as well. Though, we have to imagine that they chose a spot besides the actual tunnel, as that would be a little too exciting but it seems that the area itself was nice enough for local youth to continue to return to. After all, without them, the legend that we mentioned, the one popular for the last 50 years or so, wouldn't have kept circulating. It's odd, but there are many versions with many different additions, which isn't strange for an urban legend that floats freely around the country but is a little more unusual for one tied to such a specific location. Still, in this case, there are a few iterations. But the most basic tale goes like this. Per the Sun Gazette, quote, According to lore, a man in a white rabbit suit haunts old Colchester Road outside the small town of Clifton. And on Halloween night, anyone brave enough to go there might be found hanging dead from the overpass the next day. That's certainly... dramatic. And in some ways, not wholly unlike the stories of other Lover's Lane haunts and killers. Except for the one detail that you're probably asking yourself about now. That whole rabbit angle. Yes, us too. It's hard to imagine how that just organically slid into a local legend. The Manassas Journal-Messenger touches on that when it offers three versions of the tale. The first is the closest to the one we just told you. Actually, it has echoes of Bloody Mary or even Candyman. Specifically, it goes that on Halloween night at midnight, anyone who gathers at the overpass and utters Bunny Man" three times will be attacked by, quote, a murderer in a white rabbit suit who will leave the victims, quote, dangling from the bridge the next morning. So, no details on the suit, but we get the idea that the teens are twice inviting danger upon themselves. Then the journal Messenger offers three slightly different takes on the whole escapee from an asylum trope, which we know in itself is obviously problematic, but nonetheless these stories were also told. Two feature a ghost, sort of. First, there's the ghost of, quote, a deranged lunatic who escaped and, in his rabbit suit, quote, threw axes, chainsaws, or hatchets at cars of parked couples. How does a ghost do this? Ask a ghost expert. We are generalists at best. Okay, now, for version 2, which itself has slightly different variations, This tale, as explained by the Manassas Journal Messenger, also features a former inmate at an asylum. The Messenger explains that, depending on who tells the story, it's sometimes the actual living, breathing escapee who stars in this tale, and sometimes it's his malevolent ghost. That's the way of urban legends and folktale, isn't it? The details are always getting messy. Anyway... The Messenger explains that, in this version, this sometimes-ghost and former asylum patient is set on avenging his slain family. Who slew them? We have no idea. But the slain family is a key plot point. And for some reason, this terrible event drove the grieving husband-slash-escaped-asylum patient-slash-possible-ghost to the forest. Please don't think too hard about how a ghost could or would accomplish any of the following, as it will spoil your enjoyment. So, he moved to the woods near the Colchester Bridge, and then he just stayed there. According to the Manassas Journal-Messenger, he survived on a diet of rabbits, wearing their fur for warmth. Some versions include his disgusting habit of also hanging their little rabbit corpses around the bridge as well, which seems to imply a lot of rabbit wasting. In a major letdown, this version of the story has the grieving husband totally forgetting his whole revenge planned and then just killing a bunch of kids instead. The story goes that one morning, locals found the teens just Hanging from the Bridge. This version seems to have lost the plot, if you ask us. But who are we to judge? Well, we can probably judge the last part. And there's a fourth version that we saw briefly detailed by CBS WJHL, which claims that back at the turn of the 20th century, not one but two asylum patients escaped. One was found, quote, Hanging near a bridge. We have to assume they meant the bridge. The other escapees' body wasn't located, though they found, quote, half-eaten rabbits hanging in the trees across the area. Yuck. You may have noted that only in the second revenge-style story is the whole bunny suit angle explained, sort of. But the attacks never really are. In one case, we have revenge but it's certainly not being taken out on the proper targets. And in the other two, hanging teens just for making out, that seems suspiciously like a parental moral warning, doesn't it? And then there's the throwing chainsaws, which just seems ineffective, to be honest. Even if it would look pretty cool, we imagine they would be difficult to aim. Honestly, we have to say that after reading up on the whole thing, We found ourselves agreeing with a Clifton store manager named Kevin McNamara, who told the Manassas Journal messenger, It's just an urban legend. He went on to explain, The truth is, there was an old asylum out on Pope's Head Road, and there was an escapee. He was only gone for three weeks. He hung around the bridge. He didn't kill people. Okay, we partially agree with Kevin, because... When the paper did some research, they discovered that, in fact, there had never been an asylum on that road at all, much less an escapee. So it would seem it's just your run-of-the-mill urban legend developed to frighten teens and entertain locals, right? Well, sort of. Except for one strange thing. There's actually more than a grain of truth to this tale. Once you cut away the terrifying trappings, there's a pretty bizarre and unsettling and real story to tell. And there is indeed a bunny man. Looking for creepy stories? Then we might have a podcast for you. And now, presenting Rattled and Shook. Rattled and Shook is a weekly podcast that features new scary stories every episode, kind of like this. I would hear her say things to me inside my head. I couldn't get around him. I was trapped. The other guy started to get pretty agitated. He grabbed my grandfather's oxygen hose and he cut off his oxygen. Then I started thinking, well, you know, who would be hanging around in this nowhere forest... In this nowhere area. And that's when I started looking more closely. And that's when I noticed there were several shapes. And they were slowly working their way toward me as they were moving from tree to tree. New episodes of Rattled and Shook are out every Thursday. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. But let's start with how this was all uncovered. Because for a long time, all anyone knew were rumors— and that was true for everyone who officially spoke on the matter and anyone who told the story to their children or around campfires or to the freshmen at the College of William and Mary. As we said, it's teenagers who've kept the story alive and not their parents. And that's according to Fairfax historian Brian Conley, who published a long essay on the subject. As he wrote for the Fairfax County Historical Official page, quote, Over the years, the story has evolved into a ghost story suitable for parties, campouts, and any occasion that such tales are exchanged. It was at one such gathering in 1976 that the author first heard it told. The Bunny Man was said to be responsible for the deaths of two disobedient children in the Clifton area. Others were rumored to have disappeared, and there was talk of animals found horribly mutilated. I never saw the bunny man myself, but then I never strayed into the woods at night, especially not near that bridge. As we mentioned, Brian grew up to be a historian, which is helpful for us, thanks Brian, because he took on the role of specialist in the Virginia Room of the Fairfax County Public Library. It was there that he decided to spend a little time digging into the legend of the bunny man. He was interested to discover whether there were any news articles or other hard evidence that could back up the terrifying tales he was told as a child. And the answer is yes and no. Somehow, what Brian found was even weirder than what he set out to locate. Brian wrote that he spent years on this hobby research, slowly piecing together bits until he had an explanation for the roots of the story of an angry man in a rabbit suit. According to the Fairfax Sun Gazette, Brian looked into a number of different topics, including reports of murders in the area, mentions of events at the bridge, and of course, a man in a rabbit suit. He was dealing with quite a lot of material that hadn't been digitally cataloged, so he wasn't simply doing a quick search. This involved a lot of manual work sifting through old papers. Per Brian's own essay, He did find reports of a few gruesome murders in the area, but none of them had been committed by an axe-wielding maniac. He did, however, discover a story that linked both an asylum and the murder of a family. Per the Fairfax Sun-Gazette, a woman and her baby were killed back in 1949, and the case had been a massive focus of the media for weeks. Quote, The two were found in a shallow grave in Fairfax, after disappearing during a car ride with the husband. Police soon found the victims in a shallow grave. The woman had been beaten and shot, the baby girl buried alive. The husband and father was eventually arrested, convicted, and sent to a mental institution. So there were some elements of the story, a murdered family, an institution, but the bridge wasn't involved. There was no revenge, and according to Brian's essay, the cause of death did not line up with any of the bunny man's alleged methods. We won't get into too many details here as it's already a scary enough story. But to summarize, these were only fleeting and shaky connections. It wasn't enough for Brian, so he kept searching. His breakthrough, as he described it, came when he found mention of an old folklore academic paper from the early 1970s, written by a Maryland student named Patricia Johnson. She'd called it simply The Bunny Man, and you can see why that would catch Brian's eye. When he finally got a hold of the document, he found a very important clue. Patricia Johnson was conducting a study as to whether The Bunny Man story met all the parameters of what she described as an urban belief tale, so an urban legend. Patricia spent most of her time outlining that definition and comparing the story to the criteria. But what mattered to Brian was a small detail that she mentioned. That she had first heard the story in November of 1970. That meant she had not grown up with it. In fact, it just might have been new that year. And that gave him a new and narrow period to search. And that's how Brian came across two fascinating articles in the Washington Post that described two separate bunny-man encounters, weeks apart. And once he had those, well, there were clues to find more. The first article was published in October 1970. We were able to find a copy of that article. It's titled, Man in Bunny Suit Sought in Fairfax. The reporter began, quote, Fairfax County police said yesterday that they are looking for a man who likes to wear a white bunny rabbit costume and throw hatchets through car windows. Honest. Air Force Academy cadet Robert Bennett told police that shortly after midnight last Sunday, he and his fiance were sitting in a car in the 5400 block of Guinea Road when a man dressed in a white suit with long bunny ears ran from the nearby bushes and shouted, You're on private property, and I have your tag number. This story was also picked up by the Daily Register, which provided a bit more detail. Per the Register, the couple was shocked when the bunny man then hurled what the reporter described as a wooden-handled hatchet through the right-hand car window. Then, the Register noted, he, quote, "'skipped off into the night.'" The Minneapolis Star helpfully noted that the hatchet had actually smashed the window. We'd been wondering if it had just been open, which would have been terrifying in a different way, and also included the information that the rapid man was described as, quote, about five foot eight. The cadet and his girlfriend reported this case to the police, who must have had a more exciting night than usual. The Washington Post noted that, luckily, the couple was unharmed. Though, we think, probably put off from parking for quite a while. All articles on the subject reported that police had no leads at the time of publication, which was right around Halloween. Seems a little suspicious, we know. But then, two weeks later, the bunny man hopped up in the news again. As the Minneapolis Star wrote, a security officer at a construction site came upon something very odd a very young man, who the officer described as barely out of his teens, dressed in a white rabbit suit, attacking one of the homes being built on the site. The construction was taking place on Guinea Road, the same area where the first sightings had taken place. But this time, the bunny man wasn't harassing teenagers. He was hard at work. Specifically, the star wrote that this bunny man was, quote, chopping away with a hatchet, at a porch post. As the Washington Post reported, this bunny didn't run when the officer approached. Rather, the bunny man said, all you people trespass around here. If you don't get out of here, I'm going to bust you on the head. The bunny man only fled when the security guard decided to go get his service weapon from his vehicle. This bunny man was never apprehended. A few local children claimed they'd seen him, but nothing came of it. Brian Conley, the historian, wondered if it had just been someone who'd heard the Bunny Man legend and gotten some ideas. Eventually, though, he was able to use some interviews from that handy Maryland academic paper to narrow down the first time another 1970s student had heard the story. As he explained in his essay, That student had heard the report on the television news just before Halloween 1970, exactly when the Fairfax events took place. And eventually, Brian was also able to back up the occurrences with brief police incident reports as well. Pretty solid evidence. As for the reason why, Brian writes that he has absolutely no theory to explain the rabbit suit. We're sorry about that. Now you'll note that in these articles, no bridge was mentioned, though there is a road, Guinea Road to be precise, which is about seven miles from Colchester Road and its bridge. How did the story of the Bunny Man morph to include it? We aren't sure. After all, according to Patricia Johnson's academic paper, the story of the Bunny Man had spread into nearby Maryland, with rumors placing the rabbit in different locales. Maybe near Fairfax, that moody little bridge was just too irresistible a setting to waste. After all, it is a potent symbol, and it carries a lot more weight in our minds say than a half-built porch. Where's the drama in that? Strangers, we wish we could tell you what exactly the bunny man hoped to accomplish Besides having people get off what he apparently defined as his lawn, but we're ultimately as stumped as you are. We are glad, though, to tell you that the twist in this spooky tale is true, if a little less gruesome, than advertised. And, well, we need that sometimes, don't we? We need the surprise and the satisfaction of occasionally actually finding the treasure at that spot on the map marked X, or perhaps a bunny man chopping away with his axe. It's what keeps legends alive. We hope you'll join us next time for another real-life story from the fine print of America's local papers. From the lives of regular people, just like you and me, except for One Strange Thing. Oh, and strangers. One Strange Thing is an independently produced podcast. To support the show and to hear more of the entirely true and enticingly peculiar, you now have three options to enjoy two extra bonus episodes a month. On Apple Premium and Supercast, you can get the bonus episodes delivered to your app of choice for just 2 dollars And for $2 more a month, on Patreon, you'll get even more fun extras. There you'll find ad-free early releases of our regular episodes. Two full-length bonus episodes a month. Two monthly giveaways. Blog posts and occasional live streams. All for $5 a month. We hope you'll check out one of these options and support the show. There's a link in the show notes. And if you enjoy One Strange Thing, please... Take a moment to leave us a great rating or review on your favorite podcast app. It really helps.